Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 904 with Nick Tillinghast. Taking care of people. You know, I come from a Vegas background. Even before that, when I was growing up, I worked at the private club in Des Moines, Iowa called Wakanda. And that's where I kind of learned that taking care of people does feel good. And it's kind of thoughtless work, which is what I really appreciate. It's you're just being a good person and making sure that that person feels good. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Did you know 42% of restaurant guests will eat elsewhere if their calls are missed? What? That's crazy. That's why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the most common and simple questions people call with, like, do you have outdoor seating and what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Here's your offer. Reclaim the power of your phone now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get your $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experience has, has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green. And how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called S. RV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them. Your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And there's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com. Click the link that says request a demo and 
That will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, Thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder at DMDT Hospitality and Lifestyle, Nick Tillinghast. My man, are you feeling unstoppable Absolutely. today? Absolutely. Feeling yeah, good. Man. Feeling good. I'm excited for today's conversation. You have a deep history in PR and marketing, so I'm going to dig, brother. I'm going to try to get a lot of advice out of you today. Perfect. But before we get into your story and who you are and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah. Uh, uh, I've been saying this since I left college is do cool shit. That's kind of all I think about. Do cool shit. What yep. does that mean to you? What's cool shit? Uh, leaving the financial stuff behind and doing what you're just super passionate about. Okay. Not really worried about the paycheck, just doing what you're really stoked on. What are you super passionate about? Hospitality, cocktails, yeah. um, interior design. Um, Dude, it shows, man. Yeah. The space we're sitting in right now, we're in Hello Marjorie. I feel like I just got time warped back to like the 60s yeah, or 70s. Yeah, that's the hope. That's the hope. Did I hit the, the, the time right? 60s, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of 50s, 60s, 70s. It's yeah. kind of all over the map. It's kind of a garage sale for your grandma's basement. How yeah. many? How much antique shopping did you do to open this we place? Did, <laughs> yeah, we did 10, 10 weeks of uh, traveling the Midwest and finding just furniture and bartering with the best deals that we could find with things that are, were in the best shape. And then obviously there's some new stuff that looks the part in here but yeah. uh yeah it was a hole it was Dude, a i hole. hope this place lasts forever yeah forever but if for whatever reason <laughs> things don't work out and you're getting rid of any of these kitchen sets yeah please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> they look amazing yeah so um you also said that you're passionate about hospitality so before we dive into your story what is hospitality to you how would you define hospitality sure it's uh taking care of people um you know i come from a vegas background even before that when i was growing up i worked at the private club in Des Moines, Iowa called Wakanda. And that's where I kind of learned that taking care of people does feel good. Um, and it's kind of thoughtless work, which is what I really appreciate. It's, it's, you're just being a good person and making sure that that person feels good. Yeah, man, it does. The return in that feels so great. I couldn't agree more with you. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? When did you know that hospitality, the restaurant industry, cocktails, the nightlife, was your path. Sure. I mean, I'll touch briefly on when I was growing up and all my friends were playing baseball and doing all that. I was working at Wakanda Club here in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I was a bag boy for the golf course. And that was kind of my first experience with uh, meeting people of... Um, meeting pe- That was my first experience with meeting people that had had success yeah. in their lives. You say privileged, maybe? yeah, like privileged extreme, people. I mean, extreme privilege. Yeah. yeah, and I, I never wanted to kiss ass, but yeah. I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was on their level, even though I was a teenager. That yeah. I was on my path to get there as well, and so I did my best to just take care of them. How did that manifest? Just through taking care of them? Yeah, just taking care of them, making sure that I knew their name, addressing them, um, and doing the job the right way. I never took shortcuts. I was making $7 an hour at this time and, yeah. and it didn't matter. Like and I you're just, in high school. Is that right? Yeah. The time high frame? school. Okay. Yeah. So high school and college, I, I, that was my summer job. I did that 
for almost nine years. Okay. So I'm 14 until I left for Vegas. So any, during this time, I mean, this is the, the, the private club vertical of hospitality. It's, it's absolutely hospitality. You sure. Know? Who w- were your mentors? Was your mentor, if any? Did you evolve? Did you grow during this time? Yeah. I, I, I took... There was a guy named Dave Schneider who was the GM there. Uh, and I just watched the way he worked with people. And he was definitely... He was on the golf side, but he was also on the restaurant side. He oversaw everything. It wasn't just the golf. And yeah. I was like, man, this is really cool because he has his hands on everything and he gets to call the shots. Yeah. So what did he teach you? What did you learn from just observing how he did things? Uh, be resilient um, and be patient. What's, what's resilience look like? Uh, just keep sticking to your guns of what you think is right. Um even when things don't feel like they're going the right way. Is there an example of where you saw him show this or where you emulated what he taught you? Well, I, as I touched on, you know, people at private clubs can be tough sometimes because they spec, expect a lot. Yeah. And I would see him just get reamed many of times from a guest who didn't feel like something had happened to, his, to their liking. Yeah. But he took it with stride, um, never got excited, never got upset, and just did things the right way from there. Really paint the picture of what, like you, I can picture it too. Cause I worked at a country club as mm-hmm. well. I worked at the Kernward country club in Salem, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, big money. And you got a lot of people. And I mean, I hate to say the word, like there's almost a sense of entitlement, but Jesus, these guys are spending a lot of money. These ladies and guys are spending a lot of money sure. for these clubs to be a part of these clubs. They are entitled yep. to that, you know? And, and um, you can see this sometimes and it's weird. How do you keep your cool under that? How did he do it? Uh, I think just with what you just said, your understanding, he understands the investment that they're making to have this opportunity and uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. It's it's, it's incredible. And, and I totally get the allure of it. And uh, I have good friends now that now that I'm an adult that are members there and they take full advantage of everything there, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a grind. Yeah, it's man. grind. <laughs> well, this is actually this is like striking a vein with me because yeah. I, I did the private country club vertical, yeah. and it, it, there's pros and cons to it. Um, but the, it, it learned it, for me. It, it taught me that I do need to have patience because um, I do, I am a very anxiety filled person. Yeah, that was the next thing you mentioned was patience. So yeah. what does that look like in this vertical, this landscape? It's just don't get too high, get don't get too low. Um, if you're having a great day, don't make it feel like it's the best day that's ever happened um, because the next day could be totally different and you don't want to have that big of a peak yeah you don't want to have that big of a drop and so yeah. i always even at a young age i tried to stay neutral and you know my parents i i we i was very i wouldn't say i was very um th- i'm very thankful for the way that i grew up my parents never made me want for anything but they made me work you know, they didn't say you could just get to have this. If you want to get what you want, you need to go buy it yourself. Mm. And so uh, that taught me at a young age that Thank I need to you, be. Mom I need, and dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Honestly, and, and it made me that I need to understand how I need to be around people, and uh, if this is the path that I'm going to go, and I didn't know it at that time, that I need to be able to collect myself even in the most trying situations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just. Going back to this idea of the the private country club vertical, which isn't something that comes up a lot on the show, yeah. but it's absolutely one hundred percent hospitality, almost at its 
pinnacle yep. because of the amount of money people are putting up, the attention to detail. And the other really cool thing, and I want to get your feedback on this, that I like about that that uh, landscape is that you get to, you get to see the same people over and sure. over and over and over, almost every night, yep. you know, and you really I – mean, before I put words into your mouth, what is special about that? I built relationships with people that I still have to this day. You know, there's, there are some people that didn't want anything to do with me because I was a kid, you know, and I totally get that. But there were some that kind of took me under their wing and said, if there's anything that I could do for you in future, um, please let me know. And I'm curious, man, I'm holding that. I was holding that in my back pocket. Like, did you call in favors later on when it came Uh, to this? Yeah, there was a couple things, um, that I, but nothing that ever really manifested in any, to anything outside of a conversation. Okay. Um, and not that it was their fault of not wanting to help. It was just I wasn't in the right frame of mind or at the right place to need their assistance at that time. When was this time? 2016, 17? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put a little note. Headspace. That will be my, my cue to come back yeah. to this because we won't get too far ahead. Uh, but, I mean... there. One of the lessons I've learned on the show is you never know who your customer is. Mm-hmm. All of your customers could one day be your potential investor. If you go the private club vertical, every one of your customers could very well sure. be your investor. And they have the money. They have the bankroll. And you see them day after day after day. So you can really make an impression. You can really form a relationship, especially after nine years of working on this yeah. spot, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about, you know, I love hospitality. I love regulars. I love that intimacy. That's one of the pros. But on the, on the other side of it, like, it's the expectations it's, are probably higher. Yeah, than so much higher. Yeah. So much higher. It's not, you know, like you said, they, they're going to see you a yeah. lot. Yeah. And so if, you, if you're not meeting their expectations, it can get ugly pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. Do you have yeah. a story of where it got ugly without uh, naming names? Give no, us the, <laughs> be, uh, mostly with, uh, honestly, my coworkers is yeah. where it got most ugly because I would I felt like I was always picking up slack uh, where others weren't and I probably took it way too seriously for being 16 17 years old um but that's just the old, that's just the way I was wired I just had to do the job the right yeah. way and so when somebody wasn't helping me do it that way it was just very frustrating so you were a bad boy so you were yeah. you were mostly on the, on the the course yeah did you ever transition to the dining side of things? I, I never did. Okay. Um, I built great relationships with everybody up there, but uh, no, it was all in the golf bag room. So I greeted greeted everybody. I washed golf clubs. Yeah. I washed golf carts. I picked the range, you know. But I think I think this is one sector of the hospitality industry that doesn't really get a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, and if you are on the hospitality, not to say that being a bag boy isn't hospitable, but if you're more in the food and beverage side of things, like, and you're thinking like, there are some great relationships that you can form there. So yeah. I don't know if, if that's not on your radar and you're listening to this, consider that vertical because there's tons of opportunity. So what happens next? Yeah. So graduate. Uh, I really wanted to be a red carpet publicist. Crazy okay. as that sounds. Um, what was the allure there? Living in Des Moines, Iowa, watching, uh, cable growing up and seeing just Hollywood and New York and all the glam that came with it. And I, and I was different. I I knew that I needed to do something that was a little, I I couldn't go work a nine to five in my home city right away. It just, it just wasn't going to work. Why is that? Um, there was just, I just felt like there was more out there to see. And Des Moines is a kind of a little, little dot on the map that not a lot of people even know exists. Um, 
And I was calling it Des Moines on my way over. Yeah, no, the S's are silent, my friend. The S's are silent. Uh, but I just needed to get out. I needed to get out. And so I, I, w- I went to school for journalism, originally wanted to be a sports writer, uh, kind of fell out of love with that, went the publicist route. So my last two years were focused on public relations. I had a really great advisor who got me in touch with Beth Gibbons, who was ultimately the person who got me to Vegas um, for to work for an agency called Wicked Creative. Yeah. Um, it was... It was woman owned by Stephanie Wilson, who I admire to this day and thankful for her for giving me my first job. Um, what was her name one more time? Stephanie Wilson. Okay. Um, so, I mean, would, it was, who was a bigger mentor to you? Do you feel like it was Beth or Stephanie? Well, Beth was definitely a mentor in regard to she knew what, it, what I was feeling uh, by being in Iowa and yeah. that I needed to get yeah. out. Uh, and so, but she left very quickly when I got there, not it was six months, I think, um, by the time I arrived and she moved to Boston. Okay. So, uh, Stephanie was definitely, uh, Stephanie was a role model in the sense of she was a badass woman who was just rocking this paint agency. the picture, paint the picture, uh, just cool agency with great clients actually being able to live the Vegas lifestyle without having to pay for it. Um, but I was taking, you know, I was working for them. Um, but she was so well connected and had relationships everywhere. And what did you learn from her about networking and relationships? How important it is communication, always being in control and, uh, just under, yeah, understanding what you're trying to accomplish and just working towards that. What does it look like to be in control? How did you, what did you learn from her about being, what, what does that even mean? Yeah. Showing up is a big part of it. Uh, and then when you're there doing the things that will get you to the next step. So you understanding who you're needing to talk to, uh, why they're important, why they're they're, they're They need to be involved in your growth. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, there's something to be said about what, like, I mean, give me another layer. Yeah. What do you mean by important and what you, how you need them to grow? What yeah. do you mean by that? Uh, is it who they know? Yeah, it's who they know, but it's also just watching them being able to strike conversation with new people as well and having the presence and the confidence to all of a sudden get that person's attention um, without having to really work for it. Take us through that. Like, yeah. What's that art look like? Yeah, it's it's setting yourself... I mean, she came dressed to impress every day um, and just a great communicator and... She, she was a bulldog in um, pitch meetings. I, I remember very well. Like she didn't take no for an answer. She was going to keep fighting. Okay. So, um, and honestly, a lot of her, a lot of her um, people that have worked for her in the, even in my time in the last 10 years have gone on to do just brilliant things, started their own business or just like major publicists in another town or um, so the, it's, she started it all okay for us for what, us you said um amazing communication yeah what do you mean by that uh, articulating your message to a point where there is no cross wires or anything you ex- understand exactly what she's saying um and will get you what you need and that as a client that's what you want to hear it's yeah. just like you know exactly what i need and you're gonna go get it for me got it yeah 
Uh, so this is one of the few verticals where I feel like it's it's female dominated. Yep. Right. PR. What was it like to be a minority as a male? yeah? It was it, as a white male. What did it feel like to be a minority? Yeah. Right? It, like when do you get to say that? It was. I'm very thankful for the experience because I was a publicist for three years in between Wicked Creative and Caesars Entertainment, and I was the only male on staff in those three years, and so. It was very humbling, um, but I was coming right out of college, so I didn't have any arrogance or anything to me. I was just trying to learn. And so uh, learning from all of them, even people who were at the same level as me, um, just seeing how they were able to do things, and, and, and it, was, it was very rewarding. And I still take that to this day and use that. And um, I don't know if I would have all of the skill sets that I do now if I didn't work with all women. What? special skill sets you get working with all women there's a softness to it it's not as not as abrupt um i feel like there we were better communicators in our offices than any other professional setting that i've been in um and i can even take that for myself i'm not a great communicator i kind of sit with my feelings um but we were able to talk a lot and i think that they appreciated me too just having another voice in there that wasn't female Mm -hmm. i guess so it kind of worked both ways of just mutually beneficial uh work environments got it uh so you spend 2001 to 2000 sorry 2011 2012 with wicked media um wicked creative yeah yeah wicked creative thank you very much uh steph wilson was your mentor what made you transition from Wicked Creative to uh, Caesars Entertainment Corporation? What was sure. going on there? Uh, so the unless there's anything else we want to touch on. Now I, I do want to say, um, when I was with Wicked Creative, one of my last clients was Window Media, and Window or Window Window W E N D O H, and it was owned by a couple guys named um, Justin Weniger and Ryan Doherty, and those names weren't really significant to me at the time because I was still brand new to the, to the city, but um, I learned very quickly how influential they were. Um, and at the time, downtown Las Vegas was kind of going through a renaissance of being a place where you really didn't want to go to the cool kids in town, taking it and creating these wonderful concepts uh, in, was, the, in the heart of the district. So was downtown Los Angeles, sorry, Las Vegas, um, like just old and stale? Is that yeah, what it was? not old and stale and then just run down. Okay. Yeah, a bunch of vacant buildings, uh, kind of scary yeah. at times. Um, but those but, are where the, like the, the opportunities exactly. are over time. Like yep. The pendulum swings back and forth. And and hello, if it wasn't for me understanding that message there, um, Hello, Marjorie wouldn't be in well, the location. Think that about in. yeah. I mean, this is a big conversation. The Midwest, yeah. in my opinion, I was actually just talking. Who asked me this question? I think it was Matt Swift asked me this question um, around like, where is your favorite? Who was your favorite person to interview, or where was your favorite city to go? Mm-hmm. And the truth to that question is, is the Midwest is my favorite place to go because there's so much opportunity here, and there's just great bones everywhere yeah and vacancy yeah and like it's a beautiful building it's screaming like i think there's gonna it's happening i don't think i know it because you're seeing it right now you're living proof of this that the the people are going back to these mid-sized cities and there's so much opportunity here am i getting ahead of you no no you're 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 there but uh i just kind of want to finish touching on what kind of made me switch a gear into 
what I eventually wanted to do. So they opened these two bars in, in tandem called Park on Fremont and the Commonwealth. And the interior design that went into those just changed my perspective on everything. And, I, and I'm not like overstating that. That is legit. Commonwealth and Park on Fremont in downtown Las Vegas made me go, whoa, I didn't realize nightlife could look like this. I want to be a part of that. How did it change your perspective? Where was your perspective before and where did they bring it? I mean, I grew up, I grew up in Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, and I went to college in Ames, Iowa. And we have a lot of, I like to call them shot bars, where you just show up and you take shots. There really isn't thought around the actual setting of the space. Um, and in Vegas, my first, I don't know, I was in night, I was in the nightclubs my first summer there a lot. So it was still, it was like a bigger version of these shot bars. They were beautiful, but they, it was still kind of the same mindset in my thought, in my head. And then I saw, then I was the publicist for these two that were going to open. And I just saw the level of detail. I encourage anybody to look them up because they're still two of the most beautiful bars I've ever seen. Um, but I saw that. So saw park, saw Commonwealth. And I said, this is what I want to do eventually. And I want to do it in Des Moines, Iowa. And this was in 2012. This was yeah. 10 years ago. So, um, it, yeah, it changed. It changed what everything. Part of what they were doing really resonated with you. Why this, why is this what you wanted to do? It was a place where you didn't feel like you could go and hang out and not feel like you have to rage yeah. <laughs> at all times, which in yeah. Vegas, that's a tough, that's a tough place yeah. to find. Um, and, just I don't know, man. The, the, the interior design of it just threw me for a loop. Like I, I couldn't believe something could look so cool. Um, Give me some examples of the the level of detail that you're talking. Yeah, about. Uh, I mean, their park on Fremont's patio is one of the most I want to say the most labor intensive design projects I've ever seen. Um, it's rare that you could t- you could to hang a bunch of stuff on a patio wall in, in a, especially in a climate like ours in Vegas, it works cause it doesn't rain very much, but mm. uh, I mean, there's plates everywhere and there's just different graffitis and I, I can't paint the picture. I think it just needs to be seen. So look up park on Fremont, everybody. I, I promise I'm not we'll trying to link to it. In yeah. The show notes for you. Um, but yeah, it, it, th- those two um, without, I don't know them very well. We knew each other in passing and have shaken hands before and, said hello but i don't know them very well but i don't think that they realize how big of an influence they were for me um now 10 years later because i still i'm still thinking about it and that was justin weniger and ryan doherty look out guys i'm gonna try to tag you when this episode goes live so you get the message um any other big lessons during this time uh under steph wilson and creative or wicked creative yeah um it was my first professional job Mm -hmm. uh so it's it, being a publicist is a lot of work and it's not very well paid, especially when you're young. Yeah. Um, I was doing, you know, 65 hours a week and I was making, you know, $27,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's fun and exciting at first, but then it kind of, it kind of is a grind. So how does it grind on you? Uh, just, you're so used to having a lot more free time, especially for coming from col- directly from college. Yeah. Um, and, I just felt like I was working all the time. And I realized later that I'm just not 
capable of sitting at a desk mm. and sitting down to write a press release. It's just not how my mind works. My mind just goes too many different ways. Um, and so I was struggling a little bit of, of getting, putting out the, the level of work that she was wanting that, um, that she deserved and that I, I just couldn't do it. So I thought that going to corporate world, which I'm very thankful for and it changed my life as well. Um, would kind of stabilize me a little bit because it was more nine to five. Yeah. Obviously there was some stuff to do at night periodically, but it was very much a daytime job. So um, ultimately that's what made me make the decision to move over to Caesars entertainment. Got it. So you joined Caesars entertainment for from 2012 to 2014. You're the hospitality PR specialist. Yes. What does that mean? Um, so I was in charge of, we had nine resorts okay. and um, on the strip, all in the middle of the strip and my job was to make sure that everybody knew about our restaurants and our and our hotel rooms. Yeah. So so focusing on hotel suites and all that good stuff. Um, it my direct manager Leslie Peterson, who um, shout out to her because she she was a big influence on me. She was so patient with me when she did not need to be because um, I was running into the same situation where. So this was Michelle. Uh, Leslie. Leslie, I don't yeah. know why I got Michelle. No, you're fine. <laughs> Um, I was running into the same situation where I could not sit still and the desk work was just not where it needed to be for the company I was at. Yeah. Um, but luckily I was very good at the other part of being a publicist and that's talking to people and showing them around. Um, but when I first started, Leslie was pregnant and we were getting ready to open Nobu hotel, the first Nobu hotel in the world. Um, and uh, she went into labor about a month and a half prior to the opening. Whoa. <laughs> and so that kind of, that work kind of got dropped on me. Swim, right? Yeah. And so now I'm in charge of the publicity, obviously with the direction of my director, Selena, but um, I was in charge of a lot of things for a major hotel opening on the Las Vegas Strip. And I was... 25 wow 24 25 so this is what i'm really curious about is this world of promoting uh hotels and restaurants sure i mean that's one of the, the many hats a restaurant tour has to wear mm-hmm. is pr public relations how much did this time set you up for what you would start building in 2016 oh it 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 i could not be doing what i'm doing now if i didn't have that experience and i'm gonna because this concept that we're sitting in right now was a Hail Mary. Um, it's I, gorgeous, man. I knew it was going to be new for our city. Um, no one had really done a concept bar yet uh, where the level of price points that we were going to charge and everything, um, the feminicity of it. Um, at this time, all bars were very masculine. Um, and... Uh, I was able to build buzz for a solid year of what this was and it allowed us to hit the ground running, thankfully. So before we get into what, where we are today, uh, paint that picture of the lessons you learned to how to create that buzz, to sure. how, to how, how to reach out to people. Yep. I mean, a lot of us don't have the budget to go out and, and hire a publicist mm-hmm. if, we're just, if we're just getting started, you know? But what can we do? What are the tricks you can give us now if we don't have that money to do some of this PR and marketing for ourselves? Um, invest in good social media. Okay. Um, that would be 
my biggest, especially in 2022, Nick, um, even looking back at what was important to me when we were getting ready to open this place was we, we took the time to very, um, curate our social media very carefully. What does investing in good social media look like? Quality, uh, quality over quantity is, is my biggest thing. So we, we pers- I personally have a full-time content guy on my team right now. Um, that shoots photo video and does graphic design for us. And that is the only marketing effort that we actively do. So say that he does, he does graphic design he does and video, graphic video and photo. Okay. Um, and he works, <clears throat> he's full time with us. So paint that picture of what quality looks like yep. in regard to social media. Uh, I think, I, I call them filler posts. We'll sometimes get stuck in putting up something that really doesn't carry a message. It's more of just like, here's what this looks like. And um, for us, we try to make every post, and we're not successful on this by any means, but um, we try to make every post impactful and be able to carry a message and be able to carry uh, a full a full thought to where it's an action item. It makes people want to react to that. Where is I'll see a lot of social media where it's just, you took a picture of a cocktail, but it's just whatever. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't um, really make you want to go to your bar. So how do you go from just taking a photo of a cocktail to making it a full thought carry action item? I think I was trying to, I was typing fast as you were going. No, you're fine. But how do you, what's the, really show the difference between the two. Like what would you do if you were taking a photo of that cocktail? Like what would your approach be? So, I mean, we, I kind of take a step back because we're not innocent by just making a cocktail photo and saying, here, come check it out. Like that's, is that what you meant by the filler post? Yeah, that's it, it, but it definitely is just a filler post. Um, but we have a weekly meeting, he, I, and then our events person who is also turned into a marketing person as well. And she, uh, we, we do a two hour meeting every Monday and we go over kind of, what we want to accomplish for that week. And, um, I encourage him to do more video, more reels than stills, uh, uh, because it, it's, it's more impactful. Storytelling is the biggest thing for me is how, how can we be good at storytelling and someone who has never stepped into our bar, they see our story. So relayed so well on our social media pages that they just have to come in whenever this, the earliest convenience. For them. Okay. So reels storytelling, give me an example of how you tell story on social media. Yeah. Let me, I'll kind of go into kind of a recent campaign that we did here. Um, at hello Marjorie, we turned five in April and we wanted to bring back some cocktails that we had done over the last five years. And so we shot a video trying to get the original creator of the cocktail to shoot it. So we we were able to bring back a couple old bartenders of ours, which was really fun. Um, But I, as a journalism major, I kind of told the story of how we got to this cocktail and what the time frame was and why we did it. Um, And then we shot a reel of the person making the cocktail with, you know, some moody music and to go along with, with it. And I mean, they got, several thousand views i mean i know that some people listening to this won't that are tiktok stars and everything won't think that eight thousand views is a lot but for us as a small business in des moines iowa uh that it's a very niche business in our in our in our city yeah um you know getting eight thousand views on something that 
didn't take us very long. How many people live in Des Moines? 200 and some thousand. I mean, it's a good chunk of your t- target market. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, it, we were able to do that campaign and it really, it went really well. And we, April was our biggest month we've ever had. And we've and like I said, it's, we're five years old. So um, coming off of a pandemic, that's, that's really special yeah, for sure, man. So, um, kind of going back to surface level, you mentioned uh, quality over quantity. Um, you, you want to focus more on reels. I, I'm, the short answer to that is algorithms. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any other thing we should know regarding that answer of focusing on reels? Oh, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's what I figured. Um, we just, just, just to kind of bring it all back together, we're trying to do as much fun and going to, back to what I originally said, cool shit as possible just yeah. throwing everything up against the wall and just seeing if it sticks but i think this is something that's important and we're, we are kind of ahead of ourselves right now but what what is a budget what's a good budget for social media and videography with graphic over that sure um like per video per month per say. month um you know i don't want to divulge into what i pay salary for give us like a ballpark of low to high i would say that you if you're if you're investing a thousand dollars into marketing in your business a month, you can do a lot that you want to accomplish. What's on the high end that you think is on probably, the edge? probably, I mean, I go back to even my clients who as a publicist and they were paying, you know, four to five grand. Obviously they were doing more revenue and in, in a bigger market, but, um, it's, it's an investment that you want to make because it will take you to another level. So that's four to five grand a month. And what were the deliverables on that? Publicity, um, well, like, news, like news, tangible, cl- news clips. Like, what would you get in yeah. return? How many posts? Yeah, like all that stuff. Well, at that time, social media was still so new, and so you didn't really understand exactly the effect of it. And so, in twenty twenty twelve or twenty twelve, it was we're going to post every day. Uh, you know, we're going to do food shoots, we're going to do drink shoots, we're going to do all this, and then obviously we're pitching journalists to do articles on on that but um it was a big commitment and so and social media isn't what it was 10 years ago now i think a lot more people are taking the quality over quantity ap- approach to things i'm trying to make that shift right now from quality over quantity yeah. which is why savannah and sam are here with mm-hmm. me today sab and sam.com is really slowing down and, t- and, it, and telling a story. What yeah. you're saying is what I'm trying to do. Uh, there's so much that happens behind the scenes. There's so much more engagement than just the interview, the sit down interview. I'm in this beautiful space, man. Yeah. Like, like there's so much that let's like slow down and really bring your people in is what I'm hearing from you. And again, it's, it's about impact, not reach sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we'll go, we'll, we'll go into a funk, um, uh, where we don't post for a week and I don't try to force it. It's just like, yeah, we didn't have anything substantial to put up this week. So I'm not going to put up something just to put up something. Yeah. We try to strategize as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, So kind of going back to the storyline, you're, um, you're working with Caesars entertainment corporation. Uh, These are some of the the lessons you learned to invest in good social media. Some of the questions that I asked you, what are the big lessons that you learned during this time? You said invest in good social media. That's the, the, the rabbit hole we went into. Yeah. Yeah. So back to where we were came from, where, what else did you learn as far as a specialist, uh, how to promote yourself? uh, How do, how do you approach media? How do you get buzz? Yeah. It's, it's being respectful and diligent. Um, Media can sometimes be aggressive in the sense of they want their scoop right away. And 
it's a matter of just being able to either keep them at bay, but also communicating that it's coming or making sure that you're on top of what they need immediately because they can be onto the next thing very quickly. Um, but, but that it's also telling the story to in a pitch, for example, telling them the story to where they're like, yeah, this is interesting. This does have legs. This, I do want to cover it. Um, how do you appeal to media? It's again, it's kind of finicky. These it's are kind, really hard questions. Yeah, no, it's kind, it's really kind, well. it's kind of finicky. Uh, but you, when you knew, for me, even as a young guy, when I knew that I had something good, I knew it was good, and I was able, I would be able to get traction. Okay. Um, and then there's some stuff that you just kind of throw out there because you are trying to work for your client and make sure that they are feeling the love and you had to at least go back and say, yeah, we pitched this, but they just didn't see the, the allure of it. But, yeah. So, I mean, I've had a lot more reject rejections than, um, I mean, I gotta be honest as somebody who, who is media yeah. and I don't, I don't really identify with being a media person. Yeah. I really kind of, I really feel like I'm a student and I, I really just want to talk to you to learn. Yeah. And I'm, I'm using this whole thing to kind of just to learn and to share my yeah. knowledge. And I'm, I feel like more of a journalist than anything else. So I guess that is a form of media too. Yeah. Technically. Um, but I'm somebody who gets pitched by media a lot, like multiple emails a day from people. And one thing I've noticed is sometimes these publicists don't, they're just throwing things at the wall. Yeah. Like, do you know what I do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, why do you think I'd be yeah. interested in this? And, and, and kind of flip side, when I went to corporate, it was agency. It was totally me pitching you. You, I had, there was nothing coming my way. Like I, we were scraping and fighting for everything. Now with Caesars entertainment, it kind of flipped a little bit to where it was 50, 50. I was pitching people, but then they were pitching me as well because they wanted free shit. Yeah. You know, they wanted to have this luxury vacation vacation in Caesar's palace that I could provide. But for me, it was evaluating, well, what are you, what, how many clicks are you really going to get? Yeah. Um, and it was a lot of mommy bloggers and shout out mommy bloggers. You guys were <laughs> persistent when I was, <laughs> when I was in Especially the game. Especially being in Los Angeles. Yeah. Or else, yeah. I'm Los Angeles. We I just mean, came there. So yeah. You're there. good. But yeah, mommy bloggers, man. That, What's that brings cap? me back. Unstoppables. I'm going to be selfish real quick. As a media person, what's your advice for me leveraging my platform to get free shit if I'm trying to yeah. operate on a budget? Yeah, I would. Which I am. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. I would just make sure that they know exactly what they are going to get in return. Okay. Uh, the biggest thing for me is a lot of people would fake their numbers, um, and we had a way of calling them out on that. We would. I forget the system that we used, but we were able to kind of check if those numbers were legit. So obviously a lot of people are going to put up fake numbers so they can hopefully get past that threshold. But, uh, honesty is the best policy for me. Yeah. So, so as a restaurant business podcaster with an audience of restaurant operators yeah. and owners and hospitality people and you're a publicist yeah. or you're, you are, you were a publicist. Yeah. Um, I'm pitching you. I want to go to Las Vegas, which I'm actually hoping to do in the near future. What's your advice for me to reach out to somebody in Las Vegas and to, to help to help support this mission of bringing restaurants stoppable to Las Vegas? Give me advice on, on what yeah. I bring to the table. I would I would be um, open to working out a deal. Don't think that everything is going to be comped. I would I would start there. I never assume that. Yeah, but um, especially with I mean hotels are so cheap there, um, 
everybody everything's made off of gambling so yeah <laughs> i mean they could sell the room for ten dollars and still make money but yeah. um don't be like i want the best suite in caesar's palace yeah. like if i could, if give me could, the presidential if you could yeah if you could hook me up with a room in the flamingo <laughs> and you know set me up with a couple of your your restaurants that you want that you feel like need some publicity that would be super super awesome find the win-win yeah yeah got it don't be greedy is i i think is my biggest thing all right yeah good advice okay <laughs> selfish part over yeah. back to advice for restaurant operators yeah. so um you made the switch from uh, in 2014, you made the switch from hospitality PR specialist to uh, hospitality VIP services. What's the difference there? Sure. So my last six months as a publicist, I was kind of on an island by myself, uh, again, under the direction of my director, but I was the main publicist person, marketing person for the Cromwell um, that, op- that? Uh, is a boutique hotel that opened up on the strip in 2014, 2015. I can't, I can't Got it. My- yeah. Um, beautiful right on the corner of Flamingo. Um, and it was a Caesar's palace property or Caesar's entertainment property. And I did all of the tours with media. I learned all about the suites. I was able to talk about Giada, the restaurant that was opening. I was able to meet chef and kind of go over what her goals were. Um, and uh, they, I was able. I felt like I was a part of the hotel and not necessarily the marketing person. So I was always curious about the operations. Like, what are the? That's where I kind of fell in love with cocktails. Is yep. uh, Bound by Salvatore uh, was the hotel bar there, and that was the first time I started drinking old fashions in mm-hmm. Manhattan's. And I was like, man, I really like this. Obviously, it started tasted like poison when I first first started. <laughs> and I, but I'm trying to drink with trying to drink with the older uh folks that are in the caesar's entertainment family um and they're obviously drinking classic cocktails because they're a little more polished and uh and so i was trying to and i i can tell you the first two months i was like i can't keep doing this i'm (laughs) hammered after one and it tastes like it yeah but uh eventually just fell in love with the simplicity of a classic cocktail not overthinking it just beautiful you know glass beautiful ice beautiful garnish um and just the social setting of it it's calm where yeah. everything that I had t- been taught up to that point at Vegas had been just chaos. Yeah. So you spent two years in this position. Any key lessons that you learned during this time that you applied when trying to start your own business rest, or I would say night hospitality lifestyle group? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, every, everything, every aspect, every, <laughs> everything that I learned there, I brought here at least for the first year of everything. I wore a suit, um, which looking back is super hilarious because there's no reason to be wearing a suit in a cocktail bar in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> no reason whatsoever. Um, God, I was full of shit. Um, uh, and uh, just how to interact with people, the quality. I was, ne- I'm never a bartender, never a bartender. I just appreciated the craft. And so it was a little tough at the beginning because I was going from interacting with these bartenders that uh, in Vegas that knew what they were doing and were super talented and super strong and super knowledgeable and all this stuff. And then when I moved here and I was like, I'm going to open a cocktail bar. I was starting from the zero zero. I mean, these bar, uh, my bartenders 
who I'm thankful for forever for getting this place open. Um, I mean, we started together as kind of learning the craft of craft cocktails, which is embarrassing, but awesome at the same time, because look where we're at now. Yeah. Um, and I say this with pride where this bar is really, really, really good with really skilled people. Um, I, it's um, amazing the leap that we've taken from day one to day right. now. We're yeah. going to take our first break to thank our sponsors, to dive into the detail of how you pulled this off. As an individual who has grown up in the restaurant industry, I know that constant phone calls can get in the way of serving your guests in the restaurant, but not answering your phone can mean you're losing potential customers. And I did not know this. I was so surprised when I heard the statistic. 42% of restaurant guests will eat elsewhere if their calls are missed. And I've got to admit that that was just such a surprise to me. That's why I recommend pop menu answering pop menu answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call with like do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours god why do they always call these questions Go to the website. Anyway, within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guest hears, plus create customized greetings. Pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, plus pop menu answering helps you gain insights into what potential customers are typically calling about, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Reclaim the power of your phone now with Pop Menu Answering, and for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable all right we're back and now we're just going to dive into it like when did you have this vision for what you wanted to do and when did you start like really living intentionally to, to like say this like, this is how we're going to do it yeah in i want to say june of 2015 i told my boss pasquale romano who has since opened his own cafe in vegas which is awesome because we both kind of had this dream of opening our own stuff um i told him Hey, I don't think this is going to be it for me long term. I really want to open my own spot. I love the way that Des Moines is transforming into kind of this urban city um, that I crave. And um, I want to go back and do good there. And so I I go, I'm not going to leave you right away, but I'm going to start saving my money in order to make that move. And hopefully around the new year, maybe next spring, I'm peacing out. I go... If you need to fire me and I need to figure something else out, that's totally fine. He goes, no. He goes, as long as you keep doing your job at a high level, um, we'll ride this out and then we'll wish you well when you're ready to go, which is I'm forever thankful for because I don't think I could have made the move if I wasn't able to kind of bankroll that savings over the next several months. So um, so in January, I think I told the boss boss that I was leaving. So you told the other boss April or uh, it was, it was in June of June. Okay. So six six months later, six months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's something to be said here about the power of transparency. Yeah. Uh, if you work with people, they'll work with you. Yeah. You know, don't think that, and you know what? Sometimes there are, there are assholes out there, unfortunately that take it personally or hold a grudge. 
that's a reality. I don't want to pretend like that's not a reality, mm-hmm. but for the most part, would you say most people would do what this boss did and said, yeah, like, thanks for being up front. Yeah. Why is that the better route? It's, uh, Cause you don't want to burn that relationship. You yeah. don't want to feel like you were, you were blindsided by any means uh, for, for a perfect example. One of my uh, first employees who I hired in day one here um, is leaving us in July and he started hinting it to me in, I don't know, a couple months ago and then told me for sure that it was happening last month. And we've been working diligently to find him a new bartending gig in his new city. Where's he going? uh, He's going to Cincinnati and he's there right now finding a place. And I, he has an interview with a really great bar there, uh, tomorrow, I believe. Uh, and I'm super excited for him. He's younger. Um, so it kind of reminds me of myself of just like, I need to get out of here for a little while. Even if, even if the end goal is to come back, I need to go see other things. But back to what you were saying, the transparency is so important. Um, cause I feel like you can, they'll want to work with you. Yeah. I want to work with you if, if you're going to be honest. And with when, me. and when you, if you do come back yeah. and you go, you garner you that, have a home. that experience from a bigger city, maybe a more competitive market, you, you have a home yeah. and that person is going to hopefully make you better as a restaurant or yeah. a bar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, awesome stuff. Thank you for getting into that. So June, you tell your, your direct report that you're going to be thinking about mm-hmm. leaving January. You tell the boss boss that, I'm leaving. When do you actually get out of here? Yeah. Of so it was, I think right after the new year, I said, I'm, I'm leaving, but I gave a 60, 60 day notice. Two month notice beautiful. Yeah. Um, said, I'm going to be, I'm going to take off March 1st. Uh, and we were kind of in a transition with this VIP hospitality team that it was, it honestly was the perfect timing in between big projects. Yeah. And more of just like, they're still, we had been doing this for, almost two years and we were still trying to figure out, okay, what's the benefit of this team? Yeah. Um, and so they were trying to reevaluate some things anyway. And I was one less headache to, to have to worry about. So if, in, in, in my head, it was the perfect timing. Cause I'm like, you get to transition now without having to worry about my salary. So, um, but still, it, I mean, uh, Phil Auerbach was my boss boss and he, uh, totally good guy and he had he was the busiest man that i've ever seen and he always took the time to sit down with me when i had questions or wanted to talk about hey how did you get to this level and how can i get there yeah so anyway do that okay i'm gonna have to hit the the brakes real quick um you had a lot of conversations about how did you get to this level and how can i get there what are the biggest lessons he tell you uh i mean he was a very very smart man like ivy league smart uh, and so I was never going to be able to <laughs> compete on that. Um, so he knew numbers really well and that wasn't my forte forte. Yeah. So a lot of our conversations ended with like, yeah, I don't think I will ever get to this level. <laughs> um, but I appreciate the insight. Yeah. Um, more closely, there was a, a fellow named John Gray who I admire to this day, um, who was a younger guy who got, his kind of start by working the front desk at the palms and then worked his way up into being the uh, general manager of the link, a big project that we opened in my last year there. And I followed his path a little more closely where it was just like, all right, hard work and being seen is where you can get to where you want to be. Got it. Got it. So, um, so you, you give your two months now we're going, you're, March is rolling up. Yep. 
when were you hoping to open a restaurant or a bar? Sorry. <laughs> so restaurant I, I, is in the net. It's usually on my tongue because of what I do. But your focus is the bar industry. So I, I leave March one. I get to my parents' house on March third. They thankfully were going to allow me to live with them until I figured this all out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't be too proud to not live with yeah, your parents. Yeah. No. Seriously, they saved me so much money that yeah. first year. Um. Yeah. I'm thankful forever for that. Yeah. Um. But get there March 3rd, immediately start shopping spaces with my business partner, Kyle. So when did you, your business partner, Kyle, come into the, the conversation? He, we had started talking a year before. He was a local bartender, um, not necessarily at that time. He had been a local bartender, very popular around the city, um, very well connected. And just from my Vegas roots, I'm like, that's somebody that I need to be partnering with if I'm going to come make an impact. And so did you reach out to him? Yeah. What did that conversation look like? Hey, do you want to open bars in Des Moines, Iowa? <laughs> uh, and for, at his time he was, he had always just been party bars. And so shop I, bars. yeah, shop bars. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I was trying to talk to him about what the, what ours would be like. Yeah. And he was very much on the fence. Why? He didn't think it would work. Okay. Um, no one had done it before, and it just seemed too buttoned up for a city like ours, um, which, you know, a lot of people will say that Des Moines is five years behind trends, and I'm not disagreeing. However, social media has certainly helped us speed up. Yeah, I think that gap is it's shorter yeah. now. Yeah. What's happening in Los Angeles is going to be happening everywhere yeah. next year. Yeah. You know, or you know, which I'm sure they're pissed knows. about, you know, but well, that's why social media is done. You yeah. know, we were we're peering into the operations. You know, the one the, the side effects of social media is we're all, we're out there sharing every day. Yeah. That means the bar is constantly being risen and we're all seeing it no matter where you are. Not just the industry, but the consumer too. They want this yeah. because they see it happening in Los Angeles and New York. And they say, well, I don't want to have to go to those places to get this experience if I can get it at home. Yep. And I st- it, it took him a minute to kind of catch on to what I was doing. And eventually he was like, yeah, I'm in. So we kind of started shopping spaces together. I started reaching out blindly to building owners in the city and... um we, I still had no idea what I was doing, dude. Like I, I had read books on how to run a restaurant, which I wasn't going to run a restaurant. I was going to run a bar. Yeah. Um, how to open a bar, all, all this. And I had my numbers pretty close. Um, what were the most valuable books you came across during that research? <sighs> dude, I can't even remember because <laughs> I, I, they're somewhere in storage, but I read three or four that restaurant success by the numbers. Yeah, <laughs> I, probably. But, yeah. uh, I'm 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 a scatterbrain, so I, I, I can't tell you exactly what I read, but I can tell you that I did read some books, <laughs> <laughs> and I read the full books for the first time in a long time because yeah. I'm not normally a guy that can sit and read a full book. I feel that, um, but it uh, it allowed me a little bit of to fake it until I make it with these people that I was trying to lease from. Um, so Kyle and I start t- touring some old buildings around town. I'm, I was adamant that we were not going to go to Court Avenue. No chance of going to Court Avenue. Why not? Court what's, Avenue what's Court is Avenue, Court Avenue is our oldest bar district. Um, it's shot bars. Um, there's some cool. There's some cool things happening there uh, now. But from when I was growing up, it was it was shop. It's party bars, and yeah. I didn't want to be a part of that. I wanted to carve our own path. 
Not that there's, they make more, way more money than I do. So I have no reason to hate. Like I'm yeah. not hating at all, but it just wasn't my scene. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I want to go in the core of downtown. There's some really great old buildings. I don't want a new space whatsoever. I don't want a new build. I want to be in the core. I don't care if we're the only show in town, which is nuts to say. And the press said that too, when we picked this space, but, uh, we looked at a couple and, uh, there was one building. We were very close, but then they couldn't figure out the egress and what's the egress, uh, exit, exit plan. So you have to head at, at that particular space. You had to have two different exit plans and like you're uh, talking about like physical, like how are the people going to get out? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not it, how are you going to get out of this? If this doesn't work out. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, doors, doors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and that was the biggest. I am very, th- again, very thankful that that didn't work out because it wasn't wouldn't have been the right location. Yeah. I mean, back. honestly, like just to get straight to like what I'm really curious about this space. Looking at this space, I mean, you have all these antiques all over the place. It's a beautiful space to look at. You can tell a lot of attention to detail in here. You weren't making a ton of money as a publicist, I'm assuming, right? Where did the money come from with zero experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I cashed out my 401k, which was thankfully the benefits at Caesars were awesome. Yeah. Um, and so that gave me a little running around money to throw down on a lease. Yeah. Um, so my deposit came from that. Um, Kyle threw down money as well. Um, In your mind, how much did you say collectively you would need? Oh, boy. I think like... Three hundred and fifty thousand. How much did it really come out to? <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm going to say two hundred seventy five thousand. It was probably more like three seventy five. Okay, yeah, but okay. so that brings it to the next part is we added Ryan to our partnership, who had been in the industry far longer than we had, had actual GM experience, operating experience, um, and happened to be uh, my sister's best friend's husband. And so we took a meeting and I was like, here's what I want to do. And he goes, well, how are you going to get money? I said, I have no idea yet. I had a couple things floating, um, some old friends, some old, uh, yeah, I had a couple things, but it necessar- not necessarily stuff that I felt super comfortable with or that it was definitely going to happen. And so I didn't want to put all my eggs in those baskets. Yeah. And then I had, you know, a lot, he was one of them, but then a lot of other people just like you guys need to go get a small business loan. And I said, well, I don't have any collateral. Like I'm living with my parents. Yeah. I don't own my car. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a 26 year old guy that doesn't have a lot. Um, and he was able to kind of secure that loan with us just because of his assets. Yeah. Um, talking about his like tangible assets or his experience as a tangible, team. tangible okay. assets, yeah. just stuff that could be put up that the bank was like, okay, we could take this if you guys, Fuck us, you know, Um, which is a big risk for a family, a guy with a family. So always thankful for that. Um, And yeah, we got a small business loan. Uh, Our contractor ended up loaning us a little extra money when things went way over budget because we built a very expensive bar. Um, And was that this bar? Yeah. And we made it work. Okay. We made it work. It was a lot of whiskey drinking, um, a lot of just, yeah. I, I look at it like this never should have happened, but it also was not 
not going to happen. Yeah. So this bar being Hello Marjorie was yeah. the first bar that you guys opened. You start DMDT in 2016. Yeah. Um, on your website, it says what do what we do is create and help others make their ideas a reality. Yeah. Did you start as a consulting firm? Were you consulting other people? I to- wanted. I wanted to. Okay. We were kind of going down that path. Um, and then the pandemic happened because we had. I had two clients um, ready to use me personally for design and then just bar consulting. Um, those projects obviously fizzled because of no one with their right mind outside of us <laughs> or a lot of other people too, but no one wanted to open anything during a shutdown. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, those projects never made it past the infant stage afterwards, but I did have two consulting gigs lined up and so that's kind of where we put that in there because i was like this could be a lot of fun for me moving forward where i don't have to own something but i still get to create okay yeah so going looking at this trilogy of partners you kyle and ryan you bring the pr the uh the 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 marketing angle i was assuming based off of your background what about ryan and kyle i mean we i think kyle you said had the bartending experience relationships for sure relationships kyle was going to get people in the door when um we were worried that maybe no one would come in um just because of his his presence in our city and then ryan just had the the experience that we he and i were severely lacking okay so um but i mean i was going to be the operator i'm still i'm I mean, to this day, I'm the operator. Um, so I had to learn very quickly about pretty much everything about the bar business. And it took me a good six months to get a feel for everything. But what was that like? Take us through that, that, that process of opening. Well, before we actually talk about that, like looking at this space, what did you learn? Because this is your first project, yeah. right? You didn't know anything about what it took to open a bar prior to this. Yeah. What were the things you learned that the books did not teach you? Sure. Specifically with this location. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, what's 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 jumping out as the big things? Learned a lot about the industry that we're in. First of all, um, I like I said, I romanticized cocktail bars. I necessarily wasn't an operator of cocktail bars, and so just kind of being thrown into the fire with that and thinking or building as we go. So, I mean, the first year wasn't pretty. We were new and different, and so that allowed us some success. Um, I'm not super proud of our cocktail program for that first year. Um, not to any fault of anybody's, but we were just trying to play to the crowd and, um, provide a different experience. And I think the space itself saved us from having a rough start because it was just totally different than any, anything else. Well, I think that's what, that's a a statement to taking of the things that happen in Las Vegas to be yep. juxtaposition to yep. stand out taking that level of extreme and putting it in a city like Des Moines yeah of yep. course you're like people are gonna be like I mean the first thing I, I noticed as soon as I walked in I went whoa the space yep. and in, in a, a less competitive market like that's what attention to detail can do and it can almost it can float you until you really fine-tune the other parts of things um, what were your biggest challenges during that first getting open and um, I mean, just take us through that. that yeah. Um, I was, I was very irritable all the time cause I was just so tired. Yeah, um, I and I take that, I wish I could take that back just from my first, you know, handful of employees. Cause I was, I was pretty 
my way or the highway and it didn't allow for a lot of fluidity in in our operation it was almost like everybody was on edge at all times like what is he gonna nitpick next um because i just wanted to be so good so quickly and if i could look back i'd be like this is a marathon not a race um and we need to take our time learn techniques understand what we're pouring into the glass why we're pouring into the glass why we're doing it and um less about yeah i I was just an asshole, <laughs> but well, I, I was so I, many I, of us are. When yeah, I was, I was, I was so tired. Um, I drank quite a bit, not during service or anything, but after shift, I would, you know, get loaded off of whiskey Thursday through Saturday. And, you know, it kind of made my Monday tough to get yep. anything done. And then obviously I was waking up Friday and Saturday mornings like, I don't feel so good, but I got to go to work for 14 hours and yeah. I would just be irritable, man. Yeah. I, and, um, I needed to get through that, um, because I felt like I was a responsible owner for the most part, but I wasn't doing my staff justice by coming in that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I got everything done. I did my work, but there was just a different way that I could have done it. So, um, really, I mean, I, I hate to make you get vulnerable, yeah. here, but I think that we this is the whole point of the show, to learn through the experiences of other people. You're painting the picture, but can you give us the lowest of the low, like the lowest point, the thing that you're least proud of, a time, a moment, something you said, something that was said yeah, to you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple occasions where I got I was so frustrated that I would yell at one of my bartenders in front of a guest. What would they give me the, an example of what caused them to be yelled at? Maybe they poured a wash, you know, a wash line was off or they didn't make a drink right or What's some, the wash or they're uh, just the way that sits in the glass of yeah. how it's supposed to look. Um, or, you know, they're taking their time doing something when pace is, is what, what we need. And especially a bar of this size. Um, and I've lost my cool. And I, I had several conversations with, people afterwards and they're just like i don't like being embarrassed yeah. like that so what happens when you do that in the moment call yell at somebody in front of guests what happens uh, it's it's you know i was a person of a, in, a, in authority and so for the most part they were just would put their head down and go back to work but i could tell that I'd ruffle some feathers and now everybody's on edge. Now the whole team's on edge for the rest of the, the whole team's on so, edge. The, cons- the customers. Yeah. Going, they're, they're like, what, who is this guy? Yeah. I, mean, I have the reputation and I still might because I'm a pacer. I, if I see something that needs to get done, I do it. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. Um, but when I was wearing in my suit phase, um, everybody was just always like, who is this grumpy man that just keeps running back and forth and back and forth. And that's the owner. And, um, Hopefully more people think that I enjoy what I do uh, more now because I really do. And I always did then too. Uh, but yeah, I look back at some of our service flaws and ultimately it came from the top down. It was me. Yeah. You know, it was me who put people in bad situations. And um, luckily I try my darndest not to do that yeah. anymore. When you yell at somebody, when you get on them in front of people, they're swelled with emotion yep. whether it's embarrassment whether it's anger whether it's whatever they're not thinking about the thing they're doing mm-hmm. they're thinking about how much they want to kick your ass mm-hmm. you know yeah. and they're not going to be able to focus and, and get back and, and deliver your request to pick up the pace or to do better they're going to do worse yeah it's almost like you're hitting a domino effect did you find that to be the case oh 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. and you know 
we would always make up at the end of the night. Cheers to a whiskey. And yeah. like, that's my fucking bad dude. I'm so sorry for yelling yeah. you. But then I would do it again. Um, <laughs> not that I was a habitual offender, but there's definitely occasions that stick out where I was like, I ruined our night service because I couldn't control my emotions. When you, when this happens today, what, what's your, your series of events? How do you handle it? Uh, I, I have gotten a lot better at delegating. And so I am not the first person that, someone talks to yeah um i usually go to my manager and is like hey i don't think he or she is shaking that cocktail hard enough can you just whisper in their ear like make sure you're putting some move in it or ask them to come back of house or wait to the end of yeah. the shift yeah like, there is going forward it's been uh, knock on wood it's been a long time since i've had an outburst where i felt like i was out of line um and I'm really not that person like i hate confrontation i really do it's just i am so passionate about this and I want to be good. Um, and I want them to be good. I want them to reach their potential that there was just some occasions where, yeah, it just got ugly real quick. So you said 2000, you, you opened Hello Marjorie in 2017, yep. right? So it took you about a year to April get open. 2017. Yeah. Um, any other key moments, key lessons, things you wish you did differently during that first year of getting open that you learned the hard way, whether it was permitting or construction? Or I, it, partnerships? Was all, it was definitely all of it. Yeah, every every single thing was a learning experience, and I tried to take it with as much stride as possible yeah. and understanding. I, honestly, like this build, this entire building, it's a it's apartments. So there's 160 apartments above this, and it's our old Register and Tribune building. So this is where the paper was when I was growing up. Um, built in 1918, beautiful building, um, but it was under complete construction when we opened so we were the first thing to open in this building and so it was just kind of a construction mess in here in general and we so we were worrying about if the building was going to be permitted and permitted enough for us to be able to open and that was always in flux and so it was just a very trying process for our first project because we were we were we were unfortunately involved in a multi-million dollar project in you know in conjunction with it and um had a lot of scary days, a lot of scary days of just like, holy shit, we're this far in and I don't think we're going to get this place open. But you did eventually. Yeah, and that's what I'll always tell myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you said the first year you weren't proud of, you weren't really proud of um, the, you're proud of the space. Yeah. But you weren't proud of the, the actual, the, the thing that you do, the drink making. Yeah. And I, and like I said, I don't want to take away from my original staff because I, they're all really good friends of mine to, to this day. And for, and I think most of them, they would admit they were just trying to help out friends, um, get their dreams open, yeah. which is so cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so cool. But their passion wasn't cocktail bartending. What was their passion? Everything else. Anything. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. everything but cocktail bartending. Um, they liked the social aspect of well, it. but I can imagine being 2016, trying to open in, into 2017, you don't have a talent pool no. to pull from in nope. Des Moines. No nope. offense to Des Moines. But it's just the truth. Like, the people truth. like yeah. people that you need to do what you are trying to do. They live in Los Angeles. They live in Vegas. They live in New York. They're not. This is you don't have. There's zero experience from people in this area. Yep. So that's a hurdle to get over. You're literally teaching people from scratch. Yeah. What were your your resources? What were, where did you go to learn to teach? Uh man, I just being in the scene in Vegas was a big star of like, well, this is where I've seen this done. This is where I've seen this done. So that was a big thing. Um, I was a big comp- fan of classic cocktails. I'm like, so we have to make a good old fashioned. I don't care if we do everything else poorly. 
a good old fashioned will get a lot of people in the door. And it to this day it still does. I mean, that's our second best seller as an old fashioned. So might have to make you a yeah, new one before I yeah. got, got me interested. <laughs> um, uh, but it it was a lot we did we made every bartender take bar smarts. Um we tried to do as much technique training as possible, you know, having the basic equipment. What's um, bar smarts? It's this program that essentially kind of teaches you about booze. Yeah. So that you know exactly what you're pouring. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I have to take this moment. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard of Diageo Bar Academy. Yeah. You have. They're yeah. doing amazing things over there yeah. right now. I don't know if this was around in 2017. Yeah, I don't think it was. I think it's yeah. a newer project. But Diageo Bar, you've heard of Diageo, I'm mm-hmm. sure, as a bar owner um one of the they own tons of spirits uh i don't know exactly what you would call them they're kind of like the mother company that absorbs spirits yep um absorbing meaning they purchase and then own and then i don't know exactly how to explain it. i'm probably not doing it justice right <laughs> now. but they launched diageo bar academy where they teach the business of bars uh and no matter whether you're an owner or a manager or you're just getting started as a bartender there's content in there for you um i don't mean for this to be a pitch but it's really a great i checked it out it's an amazing yeah. resource yeah it, really, it truly is yeah cool no i I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. No, yet. but I, I know, I, I know, I know what, yeah. Cause yeah. I've heard, heard it as well. Um, yep. but I haven't looked at it yet. No. Yeah. Any listeners out there who yeah. are looking to launch a bar, check it out. Check it out. I wish I would have had that. <laughs> yeah, when it I, didn't exist. When I, yeah. yeah. There's so many resources today. Sorry. Get back on your train of thought. Yeah. I, I think I, I might have derailed you. No, you're good. Uh, we're talking about the challenges the first year. Yeah, first year was just a lot of, okay, what are we going to be? Mm-hmm. What are we going to be for the community? And I remember, we chose this spot because it was in the center of downtown and in the early thirties and forties, um, the core of downtown was where you went out. Like this is where all the bars and the restaurants were. And then it just completely went away and buildings were torn down. It turned into more offices. Um, and so when I saw the resurgence of Des Moines happening, where a lot of these buildings were being repurposed into apartments, I'm like, man, we got to have some first floor retail that people want to go to. And I figured with all the businesses like Principal and, and Wells Fargo and everything down here that we would be a great happy hour spot because no one wants to walk all the way to Court Avenue when you can walk just two blocks. This is such a great vibe for yeah. happy hour. Yeah, for sure. And our happy hours, especially pre-pandemic, were so amazing. Yeah, uh, we're, we're getting back, but pre-pandemic, holy holy smokes, they was, were rocking. Was the first year profitable, 2017? It was. Were you making good money? Uh, I wouldn't say good money, but we yeah. made money. But you're in the black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We made money, uh, which was awesome because it, it let my parents kind of breathe a little easier because <laughs> they thought I was nuts I up until up until that. But um, we didn't put this here with the intention of the business crowd that we would get from the hotels around us. Oh. And... Boy, was that a game changer when we realized what we so the, the marketing and publicists start yeah. to kick in. You yeah, but I mean, first year grooming those relationships. First with the, year, we're like weekdays. How do we get people in here? And they were they, we had a lot of dead nights, a lot of four hundred dollars in sales of like, uh, and then a couple business people would trickle in and they and they say, "Man, are you going to make it?" I'm like, "Hey, our weekends are good, man. Relax, <laughs> relax." But then once we, I mean, we've been here for five years now. Once everybody who comes in here for uh, conventions and all that good stuff realize that there's a bar, a cocktail bar in the middle of their hotel. Uh, they know where to go next time. It changed the game for yeah. us, man. We, I mean, we, I would say hello, Marjorie, this bar is the most 
Chicago feeling environment that you could get on a Tuesday. Yeah. You know, just because we might be full with a, people waiting at the door um, just because it's all out of town folks. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So um, when did you, when did you, when, when you figure this out, like, holy crap, there's this whole market of hotel people that we're not even tapping into. Yeah. When did you start getting proactive and what, what did the publicist in you start doing sure. to make that happen? Well, in, in, in earlier life in Vegas, you go and talk to the concierge and you're just like, Hey, here's my business card. I can throw you some, uh, I want to throw you a little bit of money and please send people our way. Well, the problem is, is all these hotels have hotel bars. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they don't want to push the revenue out of their own hotels, which I totally get, but it's very small market minded is what it is. Um, but eventually it just became too, I think too many guests were asking, how can I get out of this hotel? Where can I go? And so their next best thought is let's keep them close. Yeah. And so they started sending people here. Now we just have repeat people like principal brings in their nationwide team and they're coming here. This is just what it's just what's happening. So, um, like I said, it's kind of a built in business that I didn't have in mind when we signed the lease here. Yeah. Um, nice surprise. So, Marching along, 2017, you go two-year stint with just Hello Marjorie. In yep. 2019, you open Bellhop, was a tropical cocktail kind of tiki bar yep. vibe. 2021, you open Good News Darling, which is close by, right? Isn't it that, is right behind here. Right behind here. Yeah. Is that like a speakeasy? Is I hate that word. I really do. Because I don't see signage Yeah, for it. no, it's, it's, it's definitely hidden. Okay. Um, I call it a cocktail parlor because um, I... With Speakeasy, I feel like you can't really do social media and all that stuff when you're trying to portray that aspect of it. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we could use social media and all that good stuff. So um, it's so our building owner, the building owner had their offices in a 1,200 square foot room right behind here. And I was like, man, we could use a little more space. And I would love to do a small little concept back there that could double as a party room for Marjorie, but then also be its own thing on the like weekend. Like a private event. Yeah. And it's a standalone if you yeah. want it to be. Yeah. So it's diverse. It's, it's got that um, utility. Exactly. And then in 2021, you also open Secret and Meyer, yep. which is um, low ABV or no ABV options. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, we have classic cocktails and standard yeah. cocktails there as well, but we do put an emphasis on the lower ABV stuff there. Um, it's patio crushers. Um, it's, it's really interesting that building it's an old, the old boiler house for the train station. Um, it's only 1200 square feet inside. It's a 20 foot tall brick building, um, but built like a triangle. It's okay. the most awkward building, but so charming. Yeah. It's so charming. Um, and we would not have taken the space had we had there not been a 2000 square foot patio. So, um, it's a lot patio. It's the total opposite of Marjorie. So like it's busy during the summertime where Marjorie doesn't get slow, but it definitely is not as busy as it is in the winter. This is definitely a warm yeah. atmosphere. You know, it's got that grandma's house kind of feeling, you know, where, yeah, I don't know if that's what you're going for, yeah. but it's old school. And it feels warm and inviting, especially on a cold day. For sure. Yeah. Um, so one thing we haven't talked about so much, uh, 2017, before opening bellhop what was going on with you and your partners how were your partners involved with this yeah so i was the main operator um brian was still gming hotels and 
was kind of my resource for any financial questions and helping me on the back end of stuff so I didn't have to worry about the bills and I could just come in and operate and market and do social media, all that stuff. Um, Kyle was working a full-time job as a recruiter and he was still kind of help out where you can. Um, Recruiting for what? uh, Construction company. Uh, Help out where you can. Definitely still Mr. Relationships. So he was still driving people in the door just because he is, just because of, him yeah um but i was the only one in the business did that cause turbulence between a lot the partners? yeah a lot um specifically the fact that you felt like you're here and there are other people yeah it, it was frustrating for the first mostly for the first year because i didn't quite understand our dynamic yet um and so there was a lot of shouting from me again when i was un- <laughs> unhinged yeah uh of just like i don't understand what we're doing here like I'm working my ass off. You guys are got full-time jobs and, yeah. you know, doing it. But I mean, we eventually got past it. Um, and I understood their value. It just took me, took me a minute to, to get it. But, um, yeah, we were, we were fine. And yeah, that's when we decided that we wanted to open bellhop. It was, uh, bellhop was kind of, I wanted it to be the tropical version of Marjorie. Um, 60s Palm Springs wanted to abandon the typical Polynesian TV completely wanted to go completely away from that. Um, and bellhop was this kind of going off of from my life in hotels where the bellhop was the first person that you greeted when you got on your vacation and they yeah. kind of made your break, made or break your first impression. And it so, lasts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. So I, I thought that was super special and um, it ended up being a, just a terrific, terrific brand that you don't own that brand anymore. I do not you sold it, it. Sold it in um, Feb February. Any lessons on opening that bar that were new for you? Think things that you didn't obstacles you didn't sure get hit you know the first time with. Well, I don't think our cocktail program was where it is now in Marjorie um, at that time, yeah. and so it was a little easier, a little more condensed. And so I felt like, oh, yeah, we can go and do tropical now. That's great. Yeah. And um, I was a big fan of tiki bars. I I just loved the genre. I was big. I was, I'm a sucker for anything with coconut cream. I was going to say, yeah. pina coladas yeah. all day, baby. Uh, painkillers, man. Painkiller, <laughs> painkillers and daiquiris. That's that's yeah. my thing. Um, and uh, I – so we did this. And then I realized going into it as we were trying to hire staff, it's just like – this genre of cocktail is such a beast. Why? Just all the things that you have to do, all the prep. I mean, you have 30 different syrups and yeah. and stuff, and that's a lot. And yeah. if you're not fully committed, which, I mean, we only really had three people in our time there that were locked in on doing things the right way, um, it's tough to be successful in the way that you want it to be. Um, and so where was hello Marjorie when this was coming up when you were birthing, uh, bellhop? Yeah. Was it on its own? Did you need to be here every day? I was still here every day and that made it super frustrating, um, for the build out of bellhop because I wanted to be like, this will be my first like design project too. And, uh, I ended up leaning on the guy that built Marjorie a little more than I would have liked to. Yeah. Um, just because I couldn't be at two places at once. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we ended up going over budget on that too. So that was really frustrating Mm -hmm. because of like, it always happens. We didn't, we didn't, (laughs) I know, but we, but we didn't learn our lesson, you know, from, from the time prior and, uh, built this beautiful bar, uh, 
the location, I don't know if I would ever have done it there again. What was um, wrong with the location? What did you learn? It's in the it's in the right neighborhood, but it's considered a second floor, even though it's not. You just have to go up a sidewalk. And so our signage rules here only allow for a tiny ass sign if you're on a second floor. Oh. And so we had this little circle sign. So for that, I mean, the first six months, it was hard for people just because our social media presence saved us again, back to that. Yeah. But, uh, it was hard for new people who didn't follow us on social media to find the place. So, um, forever grateful for that concept because it taught me what I'm super passionate about in this business. And, over laboring things are not my passion. What do you mean by, by over laboring things? Things that it's in, just, require intense labor? Yeah, it's just every day is a beast with that, with yeah. Tiki. It is, it is, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I just, I'm thinking sticky. Everything looks so sticky. It is sticky. <laughs> um, but especially when I have this going and then the other two going, it just became too, too much. Yeah. And I needed to. Once Kyle and I, Ryan and I decided to split up and I would take on all of our projects, um, I needed to unload one and Bellhop, unfortunately, was the casualty on that. So as of today, uh, with, what uh, May 26, 2022, you were the sole proprietor of all, yep. your, all of your bars, All right? of my bars, yeah. Uh, you sold Bellhop in... February. February of this year? Yeah. Uh, did you make a profit on that? Were you able to build it to the point where... Uh, not one that warranted the three years <laughs> of work that I put into it, but right. uh, I, you know, my two leads are still there, um, which is... I'm excited that we could have that continuity for the new owners. Who did you take sell up. to? Uh, James Thyberg and Ryan Flattery. They own a few other spots in town. They own Coa Cantina, which is right across from um, Bellhop, so it made a lot of sense for yeah. them to have the back and forth there. So, and did they approach you? Did you approach them? I approached them. How do um, you approach somebody? If you want to, if you build a business and you want to sell, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Um, I knew Ryan was a big fan of Tiki cause he had been a guest of ours. And then he told, he had told me many a time that he had a Tiki bar in his basement and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew for this specifically, unless you were going to change the concept in whole, which is kind of hard because we built it as a tropical bar yeah. for sure. Um, that I would need to find somebody who wants to take on this genre. And it was a quick conversation. I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm by myself now. Um, I need to, my, the workload is just way too much for me to, to handle. Uh, would, would you be interested in taking it? And that's when the start conversation started. And it was pretty quick sell to be honest with you, because they saw the potential in it. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful bar. I can't, I, I want to see it while yeah. we're here. I want to go check it out for sure. You got yeah. me interested. Uh, so, Two years, so two years later, you open Good News Darling. I mean, what was the? I don't like to hover too much over the pandemic. I feel like yeah. people have heard enough about it. Um, it's the same story over and over again. It fucking sucked. Yeah. You know, like there wasn't much we could do. You were in the bar business, especially. So you were you doing takeout, um, drink, we, or delivery? We were doing. We were doing it. The most success that we had at Bell for that was Bellhop because it was cocktails that you couldn't necessarily make, make at home. Yeah, unless you had the right tools. Yeah. Yeah. For here, it's just like no one wants to come buy an old fashioned. You can make an old fashioned. So at home. it was the state letting you do drink delivery. Yeah. Well, okay. not drink delivery, but pickup. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, so we can kind of skip over that. Um, when did things start to pick up in, cause I know Iowa was one, being a red state yeah. was one of the first states to kind of loosen up the restrictions. Sure. So when were you guys kind of back along and chugging? Was it last I actually year? looked at that. I looked at that, um, 
the other day, and I think it was May of one year ago, our numbers started to become regular again. Back um, in the red, back yeah. in the, the black. Well, no, I mean, just it felt like we were doing the revenue that we were doing okay. in 2019. Got it. Um, not, not there yet, but getting trending darn close. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we haven't talked a lot about secret admirer yet. Yeah. Um, so actually before we get into secret admirer, you opened a good news darling first. Can we get into the significance of pop-ups? I know that's a big part yeah. of your business. Why was that? A, why did you put pop-ups? Is that front and center? Is that a, a strategic? Is sure. there any strategy there? Yeah. What is it? Uh, so good news was I wanted a place where just for the listeners again, just as a reminder, good news, darling is the, the location that's adjacent to just yeah. next to yeah. uh, hello, Marjorie, which is your flagship. Yeah. Is that safe? To say? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, wanted a space where, I mean, we basically got the space for free. And just because it was an office that's not street front, no one is going to rent that. Absolutely nobody. So I was, I wanted a space where we could do fun, interesting things without having to have 120 people in the room. Um, and I wanted a dark cocktail parlor. Like there's just some nights in January where I'm just like, I want to go back there and not talk to anybody and just yeah. hang out. Um, but pop to, to what you were saying, pop-ups, my brain doesn't stop working and Honestly, we were about ready to open another bar uh, in this winter called Do Not Disturb in our East Village. And I sold that one as well because I was like, I if I'm selling Bellhop, I need to sell this as well. So, But I'm the type of guy that like, concepts is my passion. And so I just want to keep doing them. Well, that's I've learned that that's not very smart. Um, there's no reason to have owned that many things, especially with the staff, the amount of staff that I have. And so good news allows me to do different concepts without opening a brick and mortar. Um, And it allows some creativity from my lead bartenders to do different genres or different themes without having to open a brick and mortar. Yes. And that's why I, when I see that, I get excited because in my mind, I'm thinking that's not only is a good way to give your team a creative outlet to express their creativity it's also a great way to find other people who aren't in your are immediately a part of your team or on your team, yeah. other talent in the city to collaborate and bring people in, you know, or people who are traveling. Not that many people travel to Des Moines for we're the bar trying, scene. we're trying, but like yeah. it's a great way to pull people in. It's a, it's a way to collaborate, especially with social media. Cause it's all about tagging and sharing yep. and, and just cross pollinating and cross promoting each other. Yep. Was that, part of the strategy oh yeah and you know i i i don't know if you've spent a lot of time in detroit but i freaking love detroit and so i go there quite often and try to build relationships um there and trying to get them to come and do different pop-ups and and we were getting ready to do it and then things got worse again with the pandemic and so we halted it yeah um it's just a matter of me because I went through a major transition of becoming sole owner. And so it's about me just getting my footing back. And then we're going to go back to that. Cause we want to, we want to partner with folks in Chicago. I think and, you're doing the right thing, man. Kansas I think, city. And yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before cities like this, people catch on and go the, the, the city today or the, the opportunity today isn't in the big cities. It's in the small cities. Yeah. And I think once that starts to spread and people see that you can, you can be discovered easier in smaller cities and it's easier to kind of, to do your thing into there's more opportunity there. Literally you're going to like that 
is going to be a huge asset for you to welcome the new people in yep. and say, come here, show us what you got. We'll help you get started. We'll help you. We'll help promote you. And that kind of stuff comes back around. That's good ju- uh, juju. Is that the word? For sure. Yeah, yeah. But so, I mean, even before we sold Bellhop, we would do these nights where we would invite Midwest bartenders to come and do, like we did daiquiri nights. We did mm. Mai Tai nights. Like everybody makes their own daiquiri. Everybody makes their own Mai Tai. And Pearl Diver in Nashville was a big influence in when I was building out Bellhop. And getting them to come up and do an event with us was... Is that one of Ben's restaurants from um, Experience? It is not. Oh, it is okay. not, no. Um, but it was it was huge. Like yeah. I'm like, all right, people are taking notice of what we're doing and are not afraid or don't think so low of us being in Des Moines, Iowa, that they're willing to come hang out, which um, builds the confidence for my team for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to hover over this. You, the most recent news for you is you're the sole proprietor sure. of all these restaurants that happened January of this year. Yeah. Uh, what, what, where, where was the relationship? Where was the partnership just before that? Yeah. Uh, I think everybody was kind of going in a different direction. I've still been very involved with the daily operation in even into year five. Um, I try not to be overbearing to my managers, but um, I definitely want to know what's going on and I'm here to be a resource whenever needed. Um, They were, they were kind of looking at different things that they could be doing as well. They being Kyle and Ryan. Yeah. And they didn't really match what I was wanting to do. So um, we just decided, Hey, let me take, our stuff and you guys can have a clean slate with, you know, yeah, I'm going to buy you out. So you're going to have capital to go do the projects that you want to do. Was um, the, were the, the businesses that you, that you have generating enough cash that you could buy them out? It's going to, it's going to be a bit, okay. uh, we're out. Yeah. It's we're So you worked up out of uh, plan with yeah. both of them to pay them yeah. over time. Yeah. What, but what, I feel like that's a really good thing Yeah, that you clearly didn't burn bridges with them where they weren't willing to negotiate with you. Sure. Right? Why? How did we? If things, it's natural that people over time diverge, visions change, passions change, breakups happen. Yeah. Right. What is your advice for going through a bit? I don't even want to. Is maybe breakup is too much, too hard of a word because I'm sure you're still friends with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what is your advice for going through that? Though? Uh, I think it's just we went through a lot of good times and bad times, a lot of formative. Uh, yeah. moments together and um, I think for us it was just we have we have mutual respect and it's uh, making sure that we set each other up for success yeah you know yeah. any specific advice on how like advice on how to set that up as far as agreements and, and I mean I think I think every I think every situation is going to be unique yeah. um, especially evaluating each business that's that was the toughest part yeah. um, just understanding of Did what you go to third parties yeah and you know our our lawyer was very much involved in in everything that we did and he was a great help and um, for me I think for all of us at towards the end towards the end it was just like let's just get this done and move forward so we can all move on with our lives yeah and um we all have so so what's on the future what's on the horizon what has you really excited you know i it's tough because there's there's food chefs in town um owners of current restaurants that i do want to partner with on a project at some point but we've seen and i'm sure every city in the world has seen this it's just this staff shortage Mm -hmm. um makes it very daunting to want to open anything new um and for what the projects that I do are so niche, like there's such a small audience for um, 
vibey places. Like they're just, it, they're, it, I don't know how else to put it, but um, I know if you dropped like secret admirer in a Chicago or something, it would be wildly successful where here it's just, it's, it's, it's does what it's supposed to do, but it doesn't blow the doors off by any means. Yeah. So I have to look at things in a bigger perspective. It's just like, yes, these projects are really fun. They're really cool, but are they going to be worth it mm-hmm. at the end of the day? Got um, it. So the mission statement of restaurant unstoppable is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. Uh, on that note of transformation, what transformation do you think the industry needs? Where are we now? Where do we need to be? What needs to change? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to do this now and it's not an easy task. So it, I'm not, telling anybody anything but um obviously we need to be paying livable wages in order to do this at a high level um needs to be yeah less tip um centric centric yeah uh and i don't know what the right answer is on that yet because i'm with everybody else where you look at your bottom line and you're just like okay i i i do want to pay more i'm going to pay more but will this be a long-term business uh is is it sustainable sustainable exactly sorry yeah so what needs to change in order for this to be sustainable i i wish i knew like i'm i'm learning just as everybody goes and um now that i'm by myself i'm kind of going a lot of different directions that i necessarily couldn't go when i had to have a consensus with two other people um and my people are going to be paid well moving forward, especially my full-time people, because I want them to be with me long-term. And I, if this is something that they really enjoy, um, I want to make it worth their while. Yeah. But What uh, about you personally? Uh, you were 26 years old yeah. when you came into this. That was 2016. We're talking uh, six years ago. You now you're in your early 30s. Yeah. How have you evolved as a professional, as an owner? Sure. I, I mean, I, I touched on it a little bit, how you know, disgruntled. I was irritable. Um, my first probably two years. Um, I, I don't really drink anymore. Um, because I like the ability to wake up fresh and do what I love doing. Um, and I feel like I'm a kinder person to, uh, my people when I'm not hungover, you know? Um, now that not to say I won't go out on a Saturday night and have some Negronis with friends. That's, that's beyond the point, but yeah, I try to keep it very minimal now. And I think that has made me a better operator by having a clear head at 95% of the time. So this is a fresh conversation for me. I just recently read the book drunk, which Mm -hmm. is a history of, alcohol through civilization and how alcohol helped form civilization. You might actually really enjoy it if you haven't okay. picked it up yet. Yeah. One thing that we just aren't really aware of, I think is that alcohol was never, has never existed in the amount of abundance that it does today. Sure. Humans were never meant to drink as much alcohol or have access to as much alcohol as we do today. But relative to us, anybody who's alive today, as long as you've been alive, you could go to the liquor store or any convenient store, any corner and get enough alcohol to paralyze a fucking elephant. Yeah. That's unprecedented. Yeah. I think it's really important for people in the industry and everyone to know that Alcohol is something that is very beautiful in the sense that it's literally transformed civilization mm. and it helped it, it's it's believed to be what helped people to 
intermingle beyond their hunter-gatherer tribes and allowed us to not be afraid of each other because it dampens the prefrontal cortex. You're not as fearful, of, you know, like you're more willing to let down your guard and open up and be truthful and direct. And that's what they, they think that that played a role. And it's meant to be something that's celebrated in, during special times, you know. Yep. I think it's important that we we educate people on this that – yeah, you know, like don't get smashed every night. Moderation. Man. We Moderation, were never yeah. yeah, we never evolved to be able to handle this much alcohol. Yeah. And I think it's important that we recognize that. And once you understand what the purpose of alcohol is, is to bring people together, to celebrate, to open up, to win trust. Like that's what this should be for. Celebration, yeah. ritual, things like that. And I think when you see it through that lens, you respect it a much mm-hmm. much, much more. Yeah. What are your thoughts as I'm saying this? Oh, I, I totally agree. Um I and nothing significant happened to where I was just like I need to stop drinking. It was just more like I'm not being a good leader to these folks um, by being irritable. I, I, I yeah. keep going back to that word, but um, I try to the, the experiences that we try to create in our bars is it is about moderation. We don't want you to be the drunkest person in the room ever. Yeah. Um, you can go do, do that somewhere else. And so I think we've gained respect from that, that our environments do lend to, I can go there and feel safe. And that's really important to me as well. Yeah. So uh, the author of that book is Edward Slingerland. I'm going to try to get him on the show because I think that he also ends that book with the argument that of exactly what you said is that if we treat bartenders better, yeah. and we pay them more, that's a big part of the solution yeah. is educating and control. Like we won't overserve people if we're afraid that if we cut them off, they're going to give us a bad sure. tip. Yep. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? That's exactly and, right. And that's a part of the conversation and the dialogue. And I think it, it's a matter of educating the consumer too and letting them know these things, yep. you know, so we can drink responsibly. Uh, anyway, this has been a great conversation, man. Uh, thank you for having me. I Dude, appreciate it. It's yeah. been my pleasure. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experiences has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green and 
how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called SRV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them, your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And there's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to, to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com. Click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Creativity. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, Delegation. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Are you passionate about cocktails? How do you know if they're passionate? Uh, You can just tell. You can just tell. It's, it's, It's not a particular word or thing that they do but you can you can tell what's your biggest challenge today um making sure that we build a team full of uh people that are passionate how are you overcoming it trying to be as good of boss as i possibly possibly can share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team a core value a way to be a way to act be respectful always what is one uncommon standard of service you provide that's common within the four walls of your bar, but not common throughout the industry? Detail and experience. Beautiful. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Or bar tours? Is there a word for bar? Bar, bar tours. <laughs> bar tours. Um, I think put, piecing everything together, and that would be cocktails, music, and environment. Beautiful. Name one service you've hired or outsource something that you can't do as well as these people do. So you outsource them to do it for you. Uh, content creator for social. And who is your content creator? Yeah, it's Alex Prince. What's the name of his business? Uh, Her business. Alex creates or Prince creates Alex creates. I don't know. He's, I pulled him off the street, man. Like he didn't have, he was a rogue guy when, uh, working for a coffee shop when I found him and I said, I think you'll be great for what I need. And he's and the year that we've had him, just blossomed into one of the most creative dudes you'll you'll see in this city. Beautiful. Uh, what is one technology you've recently adopted within your bars that's had a huge impact on communication, profitability, efficiency, marketing, anything along those Just lines? Just paying more attention to the cloud uh, of our POS system and looking at the numbers and having all of that data in, in one place. What are you using for a POS? Uh, we're using Touch Bistro right now. How do you like it? Uh, it's, it's okay. It's, are you looking, are you, are you Mark? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking, we, you know, I don't want to talk about competitors and everything at this time, but, um, yeah, we're always open to conversations. Got it. Yeah. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. 
get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity in your legacy. What are those three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind? Uh, I mean, very typical answers, but be kind. One. Um, take risks. Two. And um, do what makes it happy. Three. This has been an awesome conversation, Nick. Thank you for opening up, getting honest, getting vulnerable. We learned a lot. Uh, who do you respect in this industry? Somebody that if you found out there were a guest on this show, you'd be tuning into that episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to give a shout out to my old boss, uh, Pasquale Romano, who owns Squally's Cafe in uh, Las Vegas. Okay. So what? Give me that name one more time. Uh, Squally's Cafe, pa- Pasquale Romano. Pasquale Romano, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, maybe we've been inspired by you. Maybe we're looking for a change of pace. Maybe we want to go check out one of these smaller markets and be a part of something special. How can we connect with you if we want to come join your team if we have questions for you? Sure. Um, reach out via email at hey, H E E Y, at DM does things. And that's DM. D-O-E-S-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com. Or hit us up on social. We're uh, Hello Marjorie DM, uh, Secret Admirer DM, Good News Darling. Um, We love having conversations and we love people who want to check out Des Moines. Beautiful. I have loved this conversation, Nick. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to share your experiences, your knowledge. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you. I appreciate it, Eric. Thanks. Pleasure is mine. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Nick Tillinghast. Man, what really stood out to me in this episode was just his ability just to go for it, just to take this incredible risk with such little experience, but a desire, a passion. And it just goes to show that anybody, no matter where you are in your career, where you're starting from, if you have the passion, if you have the desire, in the work ethic, you can make it happen. I think Nick is just a great example of that. And also just to focus on um, standing out and, and not being afraid to take what's happening in Las Vegas and bring it to a city like Des Moines, Iowa, where it's not really known for its glitz and glamour. But I think what's happening right now is our consumers, the the general public, we have exposure to all this stuff virtually and we're not as afraid to get outside of our comfort zone as consumers as we once were so don't be afraid to take a chance and don't be afraid to stand out from the competition awesome stuff so if you guys enjoyed today's episode and you want more content like this please be sure to support this podcast there's a few ways you can support it you can use our sponsors so if they uh find that there's a return on an investment with these ads then they will continue to sponsor the show and honestly i i really do vet my sponsors i don't just let anybody sponsor the show i really try to partner with the tools and services being recommended organically on the show also anytime there's a tool or service recommended in the conversation if they have an affiliate program i sign up so make sure you use the links in the show notes uh, this is episode 904 head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 904 uh, you can come hang out in restaurant unstoppable network so i've been kind of doing a little internal uh just soul searching lately trying to figure out where it makes sense for me to put my energy and I want to go 100% on the road which means I'm going to be 
pulling more people onto my team to manage the network and to focus on the network. Uh, I'm a community builder. I'm not a community manager, and I'm trying to find that person. Maybe you're interested. If you are, reach out to me. I'd love to have you uh, come join the team at Restaurant Unstoppable. And lastly, you can share this podcast with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the industry. Let's listen. Let's spread the word. I need your help. And I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to SavAndSam.com for helping me line up these interviews and for the videography and Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for your help editing and copywriting. Can't do it without you guys. Until next time, peace out.